I had no idea it was rated R. Because there's very little blood. Almost nothing happens. I can't believe you made me watch this. I mean, come on. She started to behave as though she could be a like a dramatic lead, and she can't. And this movie proves that because, good God, is she terrible. You know, as a kid watching movies, I would have thought quicksand would have been a bigger problem when I grew up. <laughs> It's Oscar time. Time we look forward to all year, really for a, for a couple of reasons. It's fun to talk about the nominations. It's fun to talk about who got snubbed and all that stuff. And by the way, if you want to check out our thoughts on that, you can do it. We've got a blog up at madwolf.com because she is Hope Madden. And he's George Wolf. And we are from madwolf.com. And this is the Fright Club podcast. And we are celebrating this week. The other reason we love Oscar time so much is because we get to continue a Tradition we started how many years ago, the Skeletons in the Closet? About four years ago at least. And it is always really fun to talk about the, and it's also never difficult to do, to talk about the really bad horror films that these Oscar nominees made in their in their sometimes very distant past. Yeah, because any successful actor or actress, you know they're going to have a bad horror movie in their past somewhere. But, you know, they had to pay the phone bill. So uh, more power to them, and it's fun to talk about it. And we've got a great group of Oscar nominees and some really bad movies to talk about and a great uh, special guest to help us do that. But first, we want to say thank you to everybody that came out last time, the last edition of Fright Club Live. We had a fantastic time, and we watched just just a great movie that I think everybody loved. Time Crimes, which, and it's it's a movie that we debated whether or not it was a horror film, but it's just, it was perfect for this, which is the the mashup, sci-fi and horror. And I do think you're right, people liked it. And we want to thank Terrified Typist, came out, and then he also did a nice review of the movie that we enjoyed. Uh, and, then, and then when the podcast came out, it was great to hear from Gordon, haven't heard from him in a while, and then Apple Parks Film, and then the ding-dong filmmaker, Timothy Troy. It's a great ding-dong. It's a great sci-fi horror short that you should look up. Yeah, we met him at Nightmares Film Festival last year and saw the movie. And yeah, thank you, Timothy, for checking in. So we look forward to the next Fright Club Live. It's going to be February 13th. And just for that Valentine's Day vibe, we're going to talk about looking for love in horror and watch the love witch. And then we'll all just be in the mood. <laughs> We also, real quick, want to thank Dave, our friend, Phantom Dark Dave. We finally got to be on his podcast, Dave's Pop Culture Podcast. So check out, it's a Shoot the Breeze, one of his Shoot the Breeze episodes. And it's, we're specifically on episode 59, so check it out. And we shot a lot of Breeze. There was, there was a lot of stuff that we were talking about. So yeah, that was fun. Thank you, Dave. All right, so we're talking Oscars. We're talking bad horror movie pass, or as we like to call them, skeletons in the closet and we welcome back uh, a favorite guest of the fright club the host of the rewatch podcast our man from the future checking in from down under Corey metcalf welcome i made it <laughs> you did make it i've got to take the uh, the mea culpa from from last year i think it was we did have you on for a podcast that we recorded and somehow, I still don't know how, the file got lost. I really don't know how it got lost, but it was gone from my computer <laughs> everywhere. And, of course, that was probably the best podcast we've ever done in our entire lives. <laughs> it really was. It was that amazing. But Trust hey, us. We can throw it out there to everybody. Just say, ooh, it's the mysterious lost episode. That's right. That's right. <laughs> never hear it. But this is fun. Uh, we get to talk Oscars. And uh, what would just, just quickly, what was your overall uh, you know, opinion of the Oscar nominations this year? You like them? Good? Bad? They get it right? 
right? What do you think? I think they got it right. There's maybe a couple that I kind of wish were on there. Um, you know, I'm a big Emily Blunt fan. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, she got snubbed for Mary Poppins. I got you. Yeah, I thought they got <laughs> they got a lot right. But yeah, again, we, we have some gripes, as we always do. Um, and, and again, you can check out our blog on that at madwolf.com. But what's fun about this podcast, as we said, is we get to take uh, the Oscar nominees and kind of remind them of... Their roots, you know? Don't get too big for your britches, because we know where you came from, people. <laughs> and you came from bad horror movies, and that's what we like to talk about. So we've got a great list, and the very cool thing is we pretty much agree on it, right? Yeah, which is really uncommon whenever we have any kind of a guest on. And I remember, actually, the uh, the one the, the one that the last episode, I think, Corey, you and I had two totally different lists. We ended up talking about yeah. 10 movies. Absolutely. It's funny. I, I made up my list and I always put like, you know, there's the list and then there's the good stuff and I'm trying to rearrange it. And then you send me your list and I'm like, oh, yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> All right. So it's off to a good start. So let's do it. Let's get at it. Let's start at number five, going back to 1990, a California. California couple and a survivalist encounter Leatherface and his family. It's Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, starring Oscar, not well, co-starring Oscar nominee Viggo Mortensen. I like Texas. (laughs) More little nails if you don't stay put. So the truth be told, the reason that this is the movie that we're going to talk about is because just a couple of years ago, he made the list with Prophecy. And we didn't want to talk about the same one again, because honestly, Viggo Mortensen has made a ton of horror movies, some of them pretty good. We love Reflecting Skin. We showed it in one of our uh, Fright Club lives. I love it. George actually doesn't care for it that much. And then George and I like Psycho more the remake more than most people do Corey, you don't oh no how can you guys like that it was terrible it's well it's it's a fascinating experiment i think because you know doing it almost shot for shot it was it was actually on tv the other night a couple of weeks ago and i ended up watching it through to the end and i realized well no it's not exactly shot for shot it's close but uh, it's one of those deals where gus van zandt did it and you think okay why why do you want to do that? So um, I don't yeah. I don't love it, but I but I don't hate it. But I can understand why it would be very polarizing. <laughs> I mean, I can watch it because it is curious at the end of the day. But I don't know. Just go and watch the original. There's no point in watching that Gus Van Sant one. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, it's funny. I think that Viggo Mortensen does pretty well in Psycho. He does really well in, I love him actually, in Prophecy where he plays Satan. Mm. He does a great, weird job. And he's very good in this. And he's the only one. I mean, the performances, I mean, Ken Foray is in it and he's never terrible. And it's, it's not a very good movie, but he plays Tex. And you don't know right away that he is one of the, by the, by the third episode, they have a last name, the Sawyer family. And you don't know he's one of them. You think that he's, he's helping these, this couple who's making a, a cross country trip out of a bind. And then, of course, uh, you know, as the movie progresses, you realize that he's part of the family. And um, he's, it's actually really a good performance. He's kind of sexy, kind of creepy, just kind of wrong in every way. Um, I, and I don't, of course, I'm kind of, I have a soft spot for this series anyway. I I don't understand this movie. And I mean you're right. Vigo does give a, a great performance. He's the only one giving a great performance, but I mean the movie is just so ridiculous. I mean they get lost in the swamplands of Middle Texas. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I actually I think I'm not a fan really of any of the sequels to The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think they're all pretty ridiculous, but 
Uh, yeah, Viggo Mortensen is pretty much always good, no matter what he's in. Of course, he's Oscar-nominated this year for a great performance in Green Book, a movie that neither one of us loved. It's a solid movie. It's not. I don't think it should be nominated for Best Picture at all. But uh, he and Mahershala Ali, Ali are, are fantastic. So he, he's always good. And actually, in the one um, in the fight scene in this movie between uh, Vigo and Ken Foray, Ken actually broke his ribs. If, if you look, Ooh. if you watch the movie, you can see he's got a really realistic like clutch to his, his midsection there. And he actually broke his ribs during the fight. And, of course, it's so realistic, they're going to leave it in there. So, you know, no pain, no gain for Vigo. Wow. <laughs> Sacrificing your health? For this movie, <laughs> well, that's why it is a skeleton in the closet, a broken skeleton. <laughs> and it's also it's interesting to note that you know Kane Hodder, who is very well known in horror circles as being uh, the uh, man behind Jason Voorhees at the beginning, he was the stunt coordinator for this movie. Wow, I didn't know that. That is kind of fascinating. I think he is probably the best known of the different Jasons. I thought you were going to say he played Leatherface in this, and that would have just blown my mind. Actually, I think I think that he is credited for playing Leatherface just in the trailer. Uh, for some <laughs> reason, they had him in the in the trailer. Yes. Well, because the trailer, what's in the trailer, it's not a scene from the film. So I can see where that might have happened. Um, because yeah, it's all right. I don't know how you pronounce his last name. Mihailov plays Leatherface in this one, and not a very. <laughs> Not one of the best. The trail is ridiculous, though. It's oh like God, uh, it's so the bad. chainsaw is Excalibur coming up and the lightning. <laughs> I know. I, it really, what it looks oh, like, it sorry. looks like another episode of The Evil Dead. Uh, I, I think, you know, he's got that chainsaw and it's, it's so over the top. Exactly. With the Excalibur theme, you're like, I'm expecting to see Ash here after this. And you know what's funny about that is that is that I think the tone of the trailer for the third episode matches in a way the tone of of the second, the one that George hates so much. But that's that's really not the tone of of the Texas Chainsaw the third at all. It's it's much more gritty. It's a bit closer to I think a bit closer to the original in tone. It's not a very good movie, of course, but but it's funny because that trailer is so ill fitting. Yeah, and they try to bring Leatherface to the forefront, which just doesn't work because the the guy's barely got personality. And for some reason, he carries around all different kinds of mechanized chainsaws. He pulls out like a like a, some sort of dental drill at some point to <laughs> gouge at someone's foot. And you're like, what is, what is this? <laughs> but if I wanted to just toot the horn of this franchise, it does have. So it's uh, so Vigo, two Oscar winners in the fourth episode. Right. Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger are both in, <laughs> in uh, Texas Chainsaw 4. So. You know, I mean, it's got its fair share of good quality actors. You know, and in this one, they have that obvious buildup at the beginning to unmasking Leatherface, which never happens. But they did. There was supposed to be a scene, a really brutal unmasking scene. And, it, and of course, it would reveal Leatherface as horribly disfigured. But it was it was actually scrapped because New Line wanted to use it in the next sequel which never really happened, so it was then eventually used in the remake in 2003. So it kind of got everybody primed in the opening for, oh, they're going to take his you know, mask off, and they never did do it in this movie. So it's a great skeleton in Viggo Mortensen's closet. Uh, he went on to bigger and better things. Leatherface from 1990 is number five on our skeletons list. Moving up to number four, this one, is, uh, this one co-stars Oscar nominee this year Richard E. Grant from 1989, a warlock flees from the 17th to the 20th century with a witch hunter in hot pursuit. It's Warlock. Now, an enemy from his past. Who appointed you executioner? And a girl from the prison. Do you know what he's capable of? Next time he's going to kill me. I'll not let him harm you. Are the only hope. 
for the future. This is the terrifying adventure that could set the world on fire. Warlock. All right, I have a question. Have you guys ever seen a more majestic attacking bad guy in a movie? than in Warlock? Maybe, but I gotta tell you, it's funny. Julian Sands cuts an impressive figure. I mean, I, I don't think they could have cast that any better. <laughs> just every time it was supposed to be a big climactic attack, I just thought, he's like a majestic eagle just flying through the wind, <laughs> coming at you. A lot, a lot of those flying scenes were so <laughs> ludicrous. But of course, we're talking about this because of Richard E. Grant. He plays the Warlock Hunter. He comes through time to to chase Julian Sands' warlock. And, man, these two just ham it up the whole time. And it's funny. Originally, it was it, the two actors, Richard E. Grant and Julia, Julian Sands, were being considered for the each other's role. And then the director, Steve Miner, opted to cast them both against type and flip them. Because we could have seen Richard E. Grant as the actual warlock in this movie. But uh, this was, I think, one of the first movies that really of his career that got him some serious screen time. And he's nominated this year for a great, a great performance in Can You Ever Forgive Me? Uh, a movie we both liked very much. And his, his performance is great. Would we think he's the front runner maybe to win, do you think, at this point? I do think so, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it's a, an incredibly... Uh, it's not a tight race the way that the two uh, female categories are. And he's pulled in a lot of other awards for this performance right now. So I do. I kind of think that he might be the front runner. Yeah, I was really thrown for a loop when uh, Timothy Chalamet was not nominated uh, for Beautiful Boy. I suppose he could have Timothy could have been nominated in the lead category. They might have considered that performance a lead. But I just I always expected him to not only get nominated in supporting, but win. So uh, the fact that he was left off was a big surprise to me in the Oscars this year. But yeah, Richard E. Grant was wonderful. The movie's wonderful. Uh, I'm glad Melissa McCarthy got nominated as well. And yeah, I'd have to say that he's he's the front runner. So, but this one, I think, if I'm not wrong, was probably his first big screen time as the uh, as the warlock hunter. Well, of course, with Nail and I, but that was such a small film that very few people saw it. This was. Strangely enough, a pretty big release. I mean, it was 1989 and, you know, it was uh, a horror movie. So it was probably a bigger VHS, but it was a pretty it was a pretty sizable hit. And Steve Miner, who did a couple of Friday the 13th and later Lake Placid, directed uh, David Twohe. I I always stumble over that night that name uh, wrote. So one of the things that I, I actually don't hate this movie. And one of the things that I find impressive about it is the way that they don't put a lot on the screen but what they the images they put in your head are pretty horrific like what happens to the little boy and a couple of other things and what i find funny in in re-watching it recently i had no idea it was rated r because there's very little blood almost nothing happens and there's the language is fine i mean it's mostly like you know old english so it was very interesting to me that this got an r rating i'm not sure why that is but I feel like as much as I thought that Richard E. Grant was fun in this movie, it's a, it's the less interesting of the two characters. I really thought Julian Sands just killed it. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from. You know, the, the thought of what the warlock is doing to people really does stick with you. But when they do show it on screen, it is it's quite 
you know, uh, doesn't work. It's a bit jokey. You know, he's ripping out people's tongues and ripping out their eyes. <laughs> he's using the eyes to go places, but the eyes are sort of like googly eyes in his hands, sort of <laughs> going left and right. And he's like, yeah, it doesn't look right. <laughs> you want to get a second take there, Steve Miner, maybe? I don't know, but I think they make the best of it. They do throw a lot of mythology at the wall, see what sticks, and they have to explain that a lot. So that has the runtime a lot. It's a reasonable film, but it could could have been better. Yeah, and we're talking about this because of Richard E. Grant, but what happened to Julian Sands? Has he uh, he just has kind of dropped? I don't think he ever recovered from boxing Helena. Ooh, good point. Good point. Yeah, I just don't remember seeing him popping up in in any credits here recently at all. Uh, but I'm I'm happy to say I haven't seen Laurie Singer pop up in very many credits recently either. She's so bad in this movie. Oh my lord! <laughs> and it's Doesn't funny. She spend half the movie trying to get a locket. Yeah, she does, like and, that, and it's like the <laughs> worst old lady makeup because she ages twenty years every day because of a hex, and all, and like her, she she goes from twenty to forty, and you're like, that's forty. Have you ever seen a forty year old? Because that's like an eighty five year old hag. But you're right. I mean, the effects and the makeup are so bad in this movie. But remember what we say when we rag somebody like that. I'm sure she's a wonderful person. <laughs> <laughs> and they said Leatherface was in the last movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> so our number four for Skeletons in the Closet Warlock from 1989. So that moves us up to number three, and it's from 1996. A housemaid falls in love with Dr. Jekyll and his darkly mysterious counterpart, Mr. Hyde. This one co-starring Oscar nominee this year, Glenn Close. It's Mary Riley. Strictly speaking, I have no vacancies at the moment. We might be able to come to some particular arrangement. Are you Mrs. Faraday? Who wants to know? I have a letter from Mrs. Faraday from Dr. Jekyll. Oh, Harry Jekyll, eh? Yes, 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 I'm Faraday. Keep your wool on. So Glenn Close, this is a skeleton in her closet, but this also has some other big names. Michael Sheen is in this movie, Michael Gambone, John Malkovich, and of course, Julia Roberts is the star. And this was way back before she started doing quality work. We're talking about Julia Roberts because... In the last few years, I think Hope, both and I agree, she's done the best work of her career on screen, Julia Roberts has. Now, Glenn Close, she's been great the whole time. Uh, and I pretty much figure that she has maybe the front-runner status for she's nominated for Best Actress for The Wife, and she's stupendous in that movie. She's never won, which is amazing. Uh, so that might give her the, the edge. But it's a tough, tough race because everybody nominated is fantastic. But if I had to put money down, I'd probably put money on, on Glenn Close right now. But she plays Mrs. Faraday in this movie. You know, it's funny. I think the reason that so many great people are in this is because it was the Stephen Frears reteaming with the writer and leads from Dangerous Liaisons. And it was funny that at the time, this movie had a lot of buzz about it, even Oscar buzz about it. So it's got this stacked cast, and they took the Dangerous Liaisons cast, and then they added to it Julia Roberts, who actually had begun her downslide. Because after making, of course, some, you know, make giant, huge romantic comedy, you know, Oscar contender, whatever bullshit, whatnot, she started to behave as though she could be a like a dramatic lead and she can't. And this movie proves that because good God, is she terrible? That's <laughs> the accent, isn't it? It's just not right. <laughs> oh, she she doesn't nail it. But yeah, I mean, this movie came out of, along with Interview with the Vampire, along with Silence of the Lambs. They were definitely trying to go with that kind of tone, uh, bring in this Jekyll and Hyde kind of story. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, but that's <laughs> pretty much what this is. 
and it just doesn't quite get to that level. Well, Julia Roberts was nominated for a Razzie for Worst Actress for that movie, but she lost to Demi Moore for Striptease. Wow. That's, that's a tight race right there. <laughs> that is a tight race. But as we said, Julia Roberts has gone on to do some much, she's gotten much, much better in the last few years. She's doing good stuff, but not here. And it's also funny that in the one scene where Glenn Close, uh, Mrs. Faraday, she runs the brothel, right? She comments to somebody that Mary, Julia Roberts, is, isn't even 18. And at the time, Julia Roberts was in her late 20s. I think she was 29. So, <laughs> uh, okay. Fibbing maybe to get some business. And Julia Roberts, actually, you're talking about the cast of Dangerous Liaisons coming back. Uma Thurman was considered for the lead in this movie, uh, but uh, lost out to Julia. And she got 10 million bucks. Which is probably about what the movie made. And it's, I mean, there's so many things that are wrong with this movie. Be, part of it is because it does take itself so seriously, and it clearly thinks that it's a much better film than it actually is. And it's so bloated. And the idea that John Malkovich is playing two people, and no one in the house realizes they're both him, because he's a very odd-looking man. I mean, he's not bland-looking, just because he's got long hair now. But it's, yeah, it's just stupid. But yeah, I think that, for me, Glenn Close... She's got this gold tooth, you know, and she kind of has this weird sneer and she's so over the top in this movie. But the whole time I just feel like, now that's just Glenn Close. You know, it's like even she can't make this work and she's among the greatest ever. Um, And I do want to point out, though, if you want to see her in a really good horror film, just a few years ago, she made The Girl with All the Gifts and she's great and it's great. That's the thing about Glenn Close is that she... She's nice, and she can give good dramatic performances, but yeah, here, she's supposed to be this hard edge, tough bitch, owner of a brothel, get in your face, don't tell me what to do kind of woman, and she never gets there. She looks the part, but she doesn't quite get there in the part, I think. Like I said, I, that's how I feel about the whole movie. <laughs> and it's actually, uh, it's hard to believe, but it, it was a movie that had so many different rewrites. It had about 25 rewrites, and I think they filmed three alternate endings after after much of the production had scrapped they called glenn close flown back to london on the concord for one day of work to, to film some alternate endings and they did that in in late 1995 and of course the movie came out in 96 so yeah the whole thing just feels a bit disjointed even though there's a ton of talent uh involved with it and that is number three on our skeletons in the closet list mary riley Oh, we got a fun one at number two. All the way back to 1972, a group of helpless victims celebrate a birthday on an island estate crawling with killer amphibians. This one co-starring Oscar nominee Sam Elliott, Frogs. First of all, we're going to have to try to find our Stuart and Michael. be very honest with you. I don't think we will. Not alive anyway. You talking big because you're the only one making any sense around here. Whether we find him or not, we've got to get off this damn island. All of us, now! I actually saw this movie when I was very little. I was spending the night at my sister's house, and it was just on TV, and we watched it. And when when uh, I was looking for you know stuff to include in this, I thought to myself, Sam Elliott isn't frogs? I don't remember that at all. So I watched it again just a few days ago, and it he's the first thing you see, and it still didn't register with me, because it's the guy with no facial hair and a big shock of brown hair, and I'm like, oh, that manly man is Sam Elliott. <laughs> I do have a question about frogs off the bat, though. 
why would you call this movie frogs? <laughs> you could call it spiders and lizards and yeah. snakes and occasionally frogs. <laughs> that, that would have been a better title. Occasionally frogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This it's, movie, uh, it, I can't believe you made me watch this harp. I mean, come on. My apologies. <laughs> here's, a, here's a recommendation. None other than writer Fran Lebowitz mm. called this, quote, the best bad movie I've ever seen in my life, unquote. <laughs> That's actually pretty generous because it's, it's, it's so bad. Yeah, it's so bad. Ray Milland, who, of course, veteran actor Ray Milland is the star here, he reportedly hated it so much he left three days early. So his character, his character's death, spoiler alert, uh, that scene had to be shot with a double because he wasn't even in town. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, so oh. Sam Elliott, it's one of those, it's one of those from the 70s, you know, ecological horrors. And Sam Elliott is not part of this rich family. And they all get together for the 4th of July on this island that Raymond owns. And Sam Elliott is actually out taking photos of pollution when the drunken rich son knocks into his boat, knocks him. He gets all wet, has to remove his shirt. And then they take him back to the island to just dry your clothes off and take a shower before you canoe back. And then, of course, he never gets to canoe back. And all the deaths are so completely ludicrous, as you would guess from a movie that's called Frogs. But the other thing is the pace. The movie itself moves about at the pace of, of an amphibian. I mean, it's so slow. <laughs> nothing happens. And then more nothing happens. It actually, it was some of those scenes, the shirtless Sam Elliott, that helped him get, I think, his first leading role as Lifeguard. The movie Lifeguard in 1976, this movie helped him get it. And you're right about the deaths, especially the one, uh, the quicksand one which I thought was so funny, and I always remember somebody, and I wish I could remember who it was, I saw a hilarious tweet a couple of years ago where somebody said, you know, as a kid watching movies, I would have thought quicksand would have been a bigger problem when I grew up because <laughs> so many TV shows and movies had quicksand, and the one woman falls in it, and they just show those, those frogs like they did it or something. Uh, yeah, it's, it's totally ridiculous, but I love the fact that it had one long-lasting piece of influence in, in one interview years ago, Stephen King mentioned that this movie was the reason he decided on a topiary instead of a hedge maze for The Shining. Now, of course, Stanley Kubrick made it a hedge maze, but in Stephen King's mind, it was a topiary because of this movie. That's crazy. My favorite thing, though, about going back to this quicksand is that... The first time uh, one of the frogs jump at her, she clearly picks her foot up. She so clearly picks her foot up, and then she goes back to not being able to pull her feet back out. It's hilarious. Just roll it. Keep rolling. This is gold. But Sam Elliott is so very manly. Oh, is he? Isn't he just? Just everywhere. This is no shirt. Saunters into any room. He's suddenly a member of the family. Everybody loves him. Yeah. I mean, the, the premise is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, the place is polluted, and that's what's causing the frogs to act weird and stuff. Like, if this guy was so rich, I mean, this island wouldn't be that polluted. So they they throw out pesticides, and then you're like, oh, whatever, of course, you know. And it's like nobody cared about you know, how people were dying. Like I said, you know, m most of the time it's not even frogs. It's just, let's get tangled up in some shrubbery and then throw <laughs> some tarantulas on him, you know? Let's not show them biting him or attacking him. They just sort of slowly crawl all over him and that is supposed to infer that they're killing him. And he's like... <laughs> yeah, this is... I've seen better movies than this slapped on VHS... Yeah, th th this this is so bad. It's it's really amazing. It's not number one, but we'll find out why here very soon when we get to number one. But Sam Elliott nominated this year for A Star Is Born, 
You know, I love Sam Elliott. I loved A Star is Born. I didn't think he should have been nominated this year. I thought there were other stronger actors that could have been that could have been uh, included in his spot. I'm happy for him. Yeah, he's great. You know, a great a great career. I don't think he's going to win, but uh, it is nice to see him nominated. Yeah, it's always nice to see him. I mean, he's just yeah, he's one of those those actors that you love. Everybody who doesn't love him, you know. But one of the things that killed me also about this movie is not just that it didn't really it took me a minute to realize it was him because, uh, you know, he's so. The the white hair and the big mustache. But the other thing is, he doesn't sound like him. He doesn't have that deep, you know, that saucy baritone at all. It was very strange. It was very weird. Of course, that was 40 plus years ago. So it's deepened over time. I always go straight to uh, the dude abides. <laughs> Whenever I see Sam Elliott, that's all I can ever think. The dude. So number two on our list of skeletons in the closet, the hideously bad frogs, leaving room at number one for one that somehow is even more hideously bad. And this is from 1994. And this one, I guess, just barely cracked the list because the appearance by the Oscar nominee in question is very small. But it counts. It counts. It's a man experimenting with projects that are part human, part machine, and he unleashes the ultimate killing machine called Death Machine. The seal in Vault 10 has been breached. Vault 10 contains some kind of death machine. And your friends are letting it out. Shut up! Order into chaos. Way of the world. All right, Death Machine. I guess we should say that the Oscar-dominated person here is Rachel Weiss. She does show up for all of two minutes of screen time. As a... <laughs> in her in her uh, big screen <laughs> debut as junior executive. <laughs> yeah, but but she's edgy because she has an eyebrow piercing. Yeah, Ooh, that's dystopian right. Future. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, the the of course the main crux of the movie follows. Oh, Brad Dourif. Of course it does. <laughs> there isn't a horror movie Brad Dourif wouldn't do. You know what, though? Uh, speak, but, uh, speaking of Oscar nominees, people forget. You go back to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and he was Oscar nominated for that, and very much deserving. He was fantastic in that movie. And then he just, you're right, I guess he couldn't get other roles, and he just developed this resume of bad horror movies. Yeah, I don't, I, and I don't get the plot of this one because the whole time he's like the company's biggest, smartest engineer. He loves his job. He loves the female CEO that he's infatuated with. But for some reason, he's going to create a giant death machine that will kill everybody <laughs> for no real reason. I couldn't believe it. When I saw this on the list, you know, I looked up Rachel Weiss. I saw she did this movie. I watched it. <laughs> it's jaw-droppingly horrible. <laughs> it really is. Uh, you know, and it's, it's, he is so miscast, Brad Dorfus. He's got this long, like, heavy metal black wig on and the hair is always in his face. Like, and you're like, no, oh, stop it right now. He's so not like the, you know, like the hip crazy outsider that they act as if he is. And then when you finally see the death machine, Oh, good Lord. Oh, my dear Lord. It's robo-alien. It's robo-alien. Yeah. Well, what, what I love, too, is the character names. Sam Raimi is a character. And then you've got all John these. Carpenter. John Carpenter is a character. <laughs> Scott Ridley. I mean, I guess props for showing, you know, some some hat tipping to your 
to your, your uh, influences, but man, just all right, we're going to call this guy Sam Raimi. And then they also had um, uh, Way the the uh, company Wayland and Utani. They're named after companies in Alien. Jack Dante is a character. Joe Dante. I mean, and you know, we had some other choices because she made the Mummy, which I don't care for. She made the Mummy Returns, which is bad. She made Constantine, which is bad, and even Dreamhouse, which should have been good, was bad. So we had some choices, but this was clearly the one to go with. Yeah, it. I, I cannot believe the Death Machine at the end of the day. Like I said, it's <laughs> it is just the alien from alien in robot form yeah I just i cannot believe they ripped this off it's it's yeah he must have i'm using the character names i'll just use everything yeah it is it's it's pretty amazing and the fact that she rachel weiss got her her, her big screen start here i don't know if if when you get to be as big a star as she is do you hope people just forget that or, or something or i wonder if she laughs about it now because she has done such great work and she's nominated this year for the favorite and she is just fantastic. She also got an Oscar for the Constant Gardener, um, but she may—I I don't know—I think in this in the favorite might be her best performance. I, I think. I mean, the whole movie is fantastic. They're all nominated, all three of them, along you know Emma Stone and then Olivia Coleman. But in this category, best supporting actress, they've got Emma Stone against uh, Rachel Weisz. So will they cancel each other out? I don't know. They both have won one already. That might come into play. But she definitely. If she wanted to be fine with me, she's she's awesome as, as as the movie is. Maybe we couldn't have known from her performance as junior executive with the edgy uh, pierced uh, piercing here in this movie because you're right, it's just it's laughingly bad. I do wonder, yeah. we- and that's what I love. That's what I love about skeletons in the closet. Right. You know, she's just she's given this amazing Oscar nomination worthy performance. Yet here she's on screen for half a minute, going, um, uh, I, "I don't know about all this. I think we should um, maybe not get into this thing." All right. Yeah, she, she starts off, it's, it's very itchy, isn't it? And and I suppose we're supposed to think that they all have these implants, but it never comes up again. She's just like, excuse me, ma'am, is your is your wrist very itchy? It's just so weird. Um, wh- My expedition is over. All right. See you later. <laughs> One of the movies that we didn't talk about this year, though, and the supporting nominee is uh, is Sam Rockwell. And it's because Clown House, Sam Rockwell won last year. So we talked about Clown House. It would have made the list. It is, it is very much worse than most of the movies. It's not nearly as bad as this movie however so it still gets the crown and also uh, bradley cooper um nominated for stars born of course we've talked about his midnight meat train a skeleton in the closet and also he was in my little eye remember that he shows his bare ass in it yeah he does <laughs> <laughs> he looks down the camera looks you right in the eyes and says something unflattering about one of the women and also um uh, willem dafoe who was nominated this year? Um, he was in Daybreakers, The Hunger, of course, Shadow of the Vampire, which is a good movie. Uh, Got an Oscar nomination. Yeah, exactly. So uh, there's there's plenty of Oscar nominees with horror in their backgrounds, but I think we'll agree, we all agree this is these are the skeletons. These are the real <laughs> the real true skeletons this year, led by the gloriously bl- bad Death Machine, and uh, and that's our list of skeletons in the closet. But if you got any uh, recommendations, things we missed, we would love to hear about that. Let us know. It's always good to, and easy to get a hold of us on Twitter. You can find us at Fright Club Pod, and you can always find the two of us, Mad Wolf, on Facebook and Instagram at Mad Wolf Columbus, and the main website is MadWolf.com. That's M-A-D-D. 
W-O-L-F. Corey, where can we find you on the social media? Well, I do host the Rewatch podcast, so the best way to find me is on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just search the Rewatch podcast. You'll find us there. Yeah, if you want to hear me talking movies, full franchises, TV, the Rewatch podcast is the place to go. Awesome. Um, I should I should mention, we are actually going to be getting into uh, Child's Play with the release of the upcoming uh, remake in June, so Speaking later of. this year, yeah, we're going to be watching every single Child's Play movie. <laughs> All right, good stuff. Well, we're looking forward to our next Fright Club Live. That is going to be, as we said, February 13th. The Love Witch is our movie uh, at the Gateway Film Center, Columbus, Ohio. Our topic will be looking for love, and that's on the 13th. And then we're going to be right back at the Gateway Film Center on the 14th because that is the kickoff for the incredible program that we are so glad to be a co-sponsor of, Horror 101 at the Gateway Film Center. They're going to start, speaking of looking for love, speaking of romantic horror movies, they're going to start with Candyman. That's the first night of 101 horror films that they are going to show for the rest of the year. So there's three new movies every week, and some of these they're going to show on VHS, which is really fun, so they can just scroll back, watch something, uh, kill somebody again and again. They've got some like all-time classics. They've got some campy favorites, but it's, it's absolutely the entire program, it's top to bottom, outstanding. Yeah, and that first opening night, we are glad to be co-hosts. We are still planning right now. There's going to be some surprises. There's going to be some fun, and there's going to be some great things tied in throughout the year for all of these movies. There could be some big, big announcements coming soon. Uh, so uh, keep uh, keep your ears peeled. You can always find out the latest info on that uh, on our website, madwolf.com, or at gatewayfilmcenter.org. Definitely, if you're in the area at all, could maybe a plan a, a plan a trip. This is going to be a good good series to check out. Even if you want to come over from say Australia, you could do that if you wanted to. Mm, are you paying for it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you will be here in spirit, Corey Metcalf from the Rewatch <laughs> Podcast. Thank you so much for helping us count down the skeletons in the closet. This is always fun. Oh, I always love coming on with you guys. Thanks for having me. Well, we appreciate it. So until next time, get in touch if you can. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, and this is the. Friday Club Podcast. Corey, you know what to say. Stay frightful, my friends. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yay!